That's pretty cool. Let's give it up for the MIME team. What about that? Wasn't that good? Good stuff. We're in our second sermon in a series on discernment. God always tells us truth. Satan always tells us lies. God always speaks truth. Satan always speaks lies. Because of this constant conflict between truth and deception, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must pray and ask God to give us divine enablement to know the difference, to discern between the two voices. The scriptures are packed with warnings. The scriptures are filled with warnings repeatedly about ear-tickling teachers who just want to give that feel-good message to us no matter whether it's true or not. As a matter of fact, some of the language in the Bible goes this way. We are warned about the doctrines of demons in the Bible. We are warned about demonic lies and destructive heresies. We're warned about myths and perverse teachings and the commandments of men rather than the commandments of God. We are warned about speculations and lofty ideas that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. The Bible warns us about deceitful spirits, worldly fables, and false knowledge. The Bible warns us of empty philosophy and false science. The traditions of men we are warned about and worldly wisdom. We're warned about corruptors and adulterers of the word of God. And as we've mentioned many times before, we're warned about the wolves in sheep's clothing who come to devour us. All through the Old and New Testament, warning after warning after warning. Can I ask you a question? If that's in the Bible that often, you think the church ought to talk about it? To put it simply, there is a world of chaos and confusion out there. And Satan is very adept. He's very clever. He's very powerful. He's very systematic in his structure. He's very systematic in his administration and his execution of evil that is all wrapped up in and mixed up in the system that we all live in every day of our lives. Against this onslaught of lies from hell is the bulwark of God's truth. And it is that truth that God has called this church to stand for and believe and preach and sing about. And we don't wait until you're an adult before we tell you, we tell them in the nursery about the truth of Jesus. We tell them in kids' church and preschool and In grade school kids' church, we tell them in Royal Rangers and Impact Girls Club and Encounter Student Ministries and 412 Middle School because it is vitally important that we get the Word of God in them while they are young, while they are tender. 
You understand that statistics prove that the older a person gets, the more difficult it is for them to find Jesus and receive him. I have to tell you that one of the highlights of my entire life happened day before yesterday. In all my 30-something years of ministry, one of the greatest days of my ministry was Friday. I got to sit at the feet of Josh McDowell. As a matter of fact, I sat right beside him and pestered him. How many of y'all are familiar with Josh McDowell and his writings? I kept telling him I was from Whitley and he didn't know where that was. <laughs> and um, Josh McDowell told us that about 20 years ago, and that, that's how short a period of time it is, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, that it was very important to reach a child by the time they were 18 years old because once they turned 18, it was extremely difficult to get them to hear the message of the gospel and receive Christ. Now, today, he told us that that age is 12. 12 years old that we better do everything we can from the day they're born to the day they turn 12 years old to get Jesus in them because after that, your, the possibility of that happening drops off dramatically. Hear the word of the Lord. God is reminding us in this sermon series that we have to be enabled by him to discern. We talked last week about natural discernment before you know Jesus, and then we talked about supernatural discernment after you come to know Jesus. Then we talked about the gift of discernment that a few in the church have, and it is the second level of discernment we want to talk about primarily in this series. You see, if we understand these warnings of the Bible and we understand how critical it is that we know the truth and and we really get this in our heart, it's at that point that we will make it our personal responsibility to take the necessary steps. To engage ourselves in the necessary disciplines that will ensure that we are granted supernatural discernment. Can we just pray that right now? Would you just bow your head and let's pray? Father, I pray for this church. I pray for Whitley Church. I pray for our satellite churches, the bridge. God, that you grant unto us, your children, supernatural discernment. We pray it in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. We must refuse to be gullible. We must refuse to be drawn into lies. We must, we must refuse as a church to be drawn into error. God Almighty is truth revealed. God loves truth. The Bible tells us that God has given us the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit who is God might lead us into all truth. God has given us his word in living form through the person of Jesus and in written form through the Holy Bible. And when you think about that, how heartbreaking it is in light of all that God has shown us, in light of all that God has given us, in light of all of the opportunities and open doors he has given us to know the truth, still Christians drift into lies and they drift into errors. 
They sit in churches, yet they constantly stumble into false teaching. And usually the reason for that is because there is weak teaching in that church. Let's look at a pastor's heart on discernment. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and let's kind of break apart verses 2 through 4. Of course, this is Pastor Paul, and he's talking to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth had a lot of problems, didn't it? Over and over again, the Corinthians failed to fulfill Paul's hopes for them. Over and over again, uh, the Corinthian church just failed to fulfill Paul's dreams and desires for them. They kept falling into sinful patterns and Paul would have to come in and correct them. In Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 2 through 4 come as a result of false teachers that have come into the church. You know, Paul was uh, an apostle. He didn't just stay with them. He would come and teach and he would lay foundational doctrine and and, and he would declare the word of God and teach the word of God and he would leave others in charge and then he would go and start churches in other areas and then he would come back and, and of course in this case he, had, he was writing them a letter. That's what First and Second Corinthians, that's what that is. It's a letter he wrote to this church. And when Paul would be away from them, they were so shallow, listen to me, listen to me. They were so shallow in their knowledge they were so experience-oriented. They were so feeling-oriented that they were easily led in the false teaching. Can I preach right there just a minute? I feel God. I serve a God I feel. I felt God this morning in this house. I'm, I'm not against feeling God. I'm, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and, and uh, you know, we, we, love the, we love it when... You know, those angels are playing tic-tac-toe on our backbone. I, I just love that feeling of knowing he's near. But I gotta tell you something, when you base your walk with God on that, you're easily led astray. And this church in Corinth was like that. They, they put experience above truth. Let me, let me give you a statement people make from time to time that will let you know they're doing that. They'll say something like this. I know what the Bible says, but here's what happened to me. That, that, at that moment, what they're saying is, I know what the Bible says, but I gotta tell you, I've had some experiences that are beyond what's in the Bible. Well, my question to you would be, where'd they come from? Experience is never more important than scripture. If an experience in the spiritual realm, if you have an experience in the spiritual realm that doesn't match with Scripture, then that experience you had didn't come from God. So these people were being led astray from the truth of Jesus. Let's read it. Paul says, for I am jealous for you. Think about these false teachers that come in and Paul says, I don't like you flirting with other pastors. <laughs> I don't like you flirting with other teachers. I don't like you. I'm jealous for you, Paul says. With a what kind of jealousy? There's a godly jealousy, isn't there? Sure there is. The Bible tells us God is jealous for us. 
For I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Let's just look at verse 2 there for just a minute. Paul is saying, I have a relationship with you that is like a marriage. And it really is a marriage, but it's Paul is the pastor. He's saying, but the marriage is not between you and me, but the marriage is between you and God. What does the Bible call the church, the what of Christ, the, the bride? And Paul says, as your pastor, it is my job to get the bride ready to meet the groom. Isn't that beautiful? Look what he says. He says, as your pastor, I have to present you to Christ as a pure virgin. As your pastor, it is my job to, to prepare you and to lead you in the right way so that when Jesus comes to take his bride home, and you can read about that in John 14, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. If you study the Jewish pattern, the Jewish model for marriage, it's all wrapped up in that John 14. That's a whole other study. But he says, I want to present you to Christ as pure, but, but I've got a godly jealousy because I've heard you've been following false teachers. He says, I'm the one, I'm the one who linked you to Christ and I want to keep you pure until the time you meet him. And then in verse three, he says, but I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray. Listen to this pastor talking to his church. The thing that I'm, a, I'm concerned about, the thing that I'm afraid of is just like your forefather Eve as the serpent deceived her by his craftiness, that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. This pastor's looking at his church and he's saying, I fear for you. I fear for you that your minds will be led astray. Paul's deepest concern is his church. You remember that? place in scripture when other, it was also in Corinthians actually, false teachers kept coming into the Corinthian church and the Corinthian church was so weak and so shallow, so feeling oriented and experience oriented that they would take off after these false teachers and just believe anybody who came along and Paul comes in and I probably should have put this in the, in the message, but it just comes to my mind now. And Paul stood up and said, so what about what they've done? Let me tell you what I've done. And then Paul listed, I've been shipwrecked. I, I, I've been left a day and a night in the middle of the sea. I, I was stoned one time and they threw me out of town, thought I was dead and threw me on a trash pile. And when I came to and got my, uh, myself together, I went right back into the same pit, uh, city and preached again. Paul said, you want to talk about all these false teachers? Let me just tell you that, that this is what I've done for you as your pastor. And at the end of it, Paul goes, the thing that comes upon me daily is not all the things I've done, but you. Paul says, I am so concerned about you, my church. And then we go to verse four. He says, for if someone comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, another Messiah. Jesus said in the last days there would be many who would come saying, I'm the one who can save you. I'm the one who can redeem you. 
He says, if someone comes and preaches another Jesus who I've not preached or, or, or you receive another spirit which you have not received from me, or, or it's different than the Holy Spirit that I've told you about or, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. Uh, what he means by there, a gospel that I didn't give you. He says, and the thing that bothers me is you bear this beautifully. And here's what he's saying there. He's saying, I'm concerned that many of you are so easily swayed by these false teachers that come in among you and present false messiahs and a false gospel. And they teach you something that is from a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And he said, the thing that just troubles me is that you, you receive them beautifully. You bear them beautifully. And, and that language there kind of throws you off when you're reading uh, the King James uh, Version. But what he is saying there is that, that you tolerate false false teaching easily you tolerate it easily Paul says I I worry about you I mean he's looking this church straight in the face and going they come presenting another Christ and they come presenting another gospel they come presenting another spirit and you don't have a problem with it and Paul looks at them and says you lack discernment you lack discernment here the voice of the Lord in Whitley Church today, let us not lack discernment. In verse three, we see the compassion of Paul most clear in my opinion when he says, my great fear is that you would be led astray. Like a little lamb, like a, ch you know, as a parent with the little children, we hear these stories about little children just disappearing following some stranger who comes in and says something that they know will attract a little child and a child is gone. And later a body is found. I don't know of any story, I don't know of any news story that ever comes across the screen of my television that breaks my heart more and brings tears to my eyes more than that story of a child that in their innocence and in their lack of knowledge and in their lack of discernment and in their childishness believe the lie of someone who said, I care about you like mommy and daddy cares about you. And Paul says, this is the thing that I'm concerned about, that somebody will come along and lead you away. It's my fear as a pastor. It's not just my fear for you. It's my concern for my own self. And let me tell you why I'm concerned about myself. Because I see pastors constantly who at one time were great proclaimers of the truth, but they heard some doctrine that they really liked and it really appealed to them. And, and I don't know why it appealed to them. Maybe it appealed to them because they thought, if I preach this, I'll have a bigger church. Or if I preach this, we'll have more money. Or if I preach this, people will like me more. How many of you have been reading about Rob Bell? You've been reading about Rob Bell. And Rob Bell, who, who once was a a pastor who preached it true. Now he has gone off into, it appears, uh, a doctrine that's called universalism. How many of you remember Carmen? You remember Carmen? I don't see Carmen as much as I used to. He's probably like me and can't dance like he used to dance. Carmen used to get it on, didn't he? We don't see him much anymore, but his pastor 
what was this pastor's name? Carl, um, anyway, his pastor went into this universalism, this universal um, doctrine, which you need to read up on and study. Let me give you a website if you want to ever check out a, a doctrine or a, a movement to find out if it's true. Um, I believe it's called Watchman, watchman.org or just Google Watchman and the word doctrine beside of it and their website will come up. We've actually had them here uh, to do a, a series of messages on the cults. And so you can go there and you can, you can type in their search. If you type in universalist doctrine, type it in and it'll tell you all about what it is and why it isn't like God. And I gotta tell you something, guys. Sometimes I'll preach against false doctrine and I'll be so bold as to name a church or name a denomination and I always have to defend myself after the sermon's over because people come running up to me and say, my family's in that church and they're good Christians. Listen, they might be good people, but if you don't see Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior of the world who died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the dead, and because of that you can believe on him and be born into the family of God and be adopted into the family of God, if you don't believe that, it doesn't matter how fine a person you are. I'm not trying to be mean. As a matter of fact, really, a guy who'll say that to you right there loves you. So whether or not a person is led astray boils down to decisions they make every day of their life, day in and day out, it affects the course of your life. Let's go to, um, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and let's look at Paul as he talks to another church and calls them uh, to discernment. 1 Thessalonians 5. I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. It's one of those summary passages. It's kind of where the Apostle Paul puts together some bullet points on how to live the Christian life. I love verses like that and passages like that. In verse 16, he says, bullet point number one, rejoice always. Let me interpret that for you. Stop whining. Rejoice always. Bullet point number two, pray without ceasing. Now you can't walk around all the time going glory to God. Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. How y'all doing? Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, you help me, you know, heal me. It's not, it's not like that. I mean, if you do that, they're gonna call the paddy wagon. Is there a paddy wagon anymore? But y'all know what I mean by that. <laughs> what does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means that you practice the presence of God 24-7. That he's always with you and you can always talk to him and you can always commune. How many of y'all know what whisper prayers are? It's what state fans pray. Help us, Jesus. Evidently, it's what Duke fans failed to pray the other night. <laughs> pray without ceasing. That's a state fan right there. Right now, we're like, God, help us get not just a high school coach. Help us get a real coach, God, please. 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Bullet point number three, in everything give thanks. That's three good things right there, isn't it? Why should we do these three things? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's another bullet point. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Do not quench. Do not hold away. Do not push away the workings of the Holy Spirit, the desire of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't do it. And then in verses 20, 21, and 22, he calls the church to discernment. Look what he says in verse 20. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Verse 21, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every evil from every form of evil. It's a call to discernment. Let's go back to verse 20 and kind of walk through 20, 21, and 22. Verse 20, do not despise prophetic utterances. This means that we are not to despise God's revelation through spokesmen who speak for him. We're not to despise it. But we're to examine it very carefully, and we're to hold fast to what's good, abstain from every form of evil. The original language here means when you, when a person is standing and they are proclaiming the word of God, interpreting the divine will of God, interpreting the divine purpose of God, when, when they obvious, obviously have had placed on them a supernatural skill for the public proclaiming of God's word, the Bible says don't downgrade that. Don't make light of that. Don't belittle that. Don't trivialize that. Don't do it. Don't despise it. Don't despise the presentation of the divine will of God. Don't belittle accurate preaching. Don't belittle accurate teaching of the scriptures is what verse 20 is telling us. Verse 21 but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. In this verse, Paul is saying, when you are listening to preaching, when you are reading a book that says there's truth in this book, when you are listening to a teacher, when you're listening to anybody, a spouse, some doctrine, or they look at you and say here, (coughs) excuse me, they look at you and say, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Bible means. The Bible here says to you, listen to that, but examine it. I'll tell you something. If you're not really walking in intimacy with God, you let some real gifted orator, some real slick, flashy guy, gal get up in front of you, they'll have you believing something that isn't in the Bible just because they're so good at their presentation. You have to examine that preaching. You have to examine that teaching very carefully. The Greek word here refers to something that is tested carefully as to reveal whether it is genuine or not. Something that is subjected to very thorough scrutiny and analysis. Now again, we talked last week about, you know, here's another problem the church has. 
we, we get way out of balance. We get way over here to the left where we don't scrutinize anything. We don't analyze anything. We don't test anything. If they look like a preacher, smell like a preacher, wear their hair like a preacher, we think they're telling the truth. So we don't scrutinize anything. Then we, buy, then we say, well, that isn't right, that isn't right. We got to really scrutinize. So then we, we don't swing into a balanced place. We swing way over here where nobody's telling the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you go to a church, whether they come right out and say it or whether they indicate it in just how they talk, that they're the only ones who really have truth and they're the only ones who really have what God's saying and they're the only ones. That's why we pray for other churches and lift up other churches. Guess what? Whitley Church doesn't have a monopoly on the truth. A lot of good churches out there, a lot of good preachers out there. A lot of liberal churches out there too, and I would warn you against that, but I want to tell you that there are many good churches, but if you go to a church and they kind of indicate that ain't nobody doing it right but us, run. So we don't want to, we don't want to swing all the way over there. I mean, human beings, what are we? We are creatures of extremism. We, we have a tendency to go to extremes. You know, the middle of the road's a bad place to drive your car, but it's a great place to live your life. So he's talking about this, this word for testing or analyzing. Re, the Greek word really uh, re, um, comes from a word that means testing metals to determine the purity of metal. Let me take you to the book of Acts. We're still, in, we're still in the scripture now in 1 Thessalonians 5, but let's just take a little side trip and go to the book of Acts. This is kind of early in Paul's ministry. The Bible says in Acts 17, 10 through 12, let's, let's look at it. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. We ought to be open-minded. But we can't get out of balance in being open-minded. I like what Dr. Vance Havner said. He said you can be so open-minded your brains fall out. <laughs> but there is an open-mindedness we ought to have. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. Look at that. They listened eagerly. They didn't tell Paul, you can't preach here. Do you know what they knew about Paul? All they knew about Paul was this guy kills Christians, but somebody told us he got saved going to Damascus. So now Paul says, I know I used to kill you guys, but now I'd like to get ordination with you. And they're like, well, come preach and let us hear what you have to say. So Paul and Silas come and they preach. And I want you to look what the people of Berea did. They searched the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they were really telling the truth. That, that is discernment. Don't, listen, you say, Pastor, we've had you as our pastor almost 21 years. And I tell you, Pastor, if you say it, I'm go don't you do that. I'm a human being. I'm subject to fall. I'm subject to error. I, I, I may lose my mind. I may lose my... 
I may get so open-minded my brain falls out. You gotta always check me out. And any preacher that stands in any pulpit anywhere and discourages you to check him out, he's the one you better check out. You need to check out everything I say. If I preach something that isn't true, you need to walk up here and go, Pastor, I, I'm not sure that's what that passage means. No, you'll be wrong, but you ought to still come. And so, <laughs> I'll forgive you. You just come on up here. No, seriously, guys, I'm subject to failure. I want you to check me out. See, I want you to know that when you bring your fam family and friends into this church, they're going to get the truth from your pastor. Amen, amen. I don't want you to wonder, wonder if he's going to be watered down today. Y'all probably wonder, wonder if he's going to scare the daylights out of them today, you know. Now, there is a teaching that says that if we get over, overboard in making sure we're preaching the truth, then it's going to be insensitive toward unbelievers. And it's going to cause unbelievers not to come to Christ and not to be saved. So we've got to really, you know, not be really strong about that. Well, that isn't what it says right here. It says right here that they searched the scriptures daily. They put Paul and Silas to the test. They scrutinized them. They analyzed them. They discerned them. They tested them to see if they were really teaching the truth. Look at verse 12. As a result, many Jews believed. Discernment doesn't, doesn't cause people not to come to Jesus. When a, when a church is a discerning church, it draws people to Jesus. How many of y'all know they're not looking for what they got? You know why? They already got it. They're looking for something they don't have. They're looking for something they don't have. As a result of being a, a, a discerning church, many Jews believed. Now, I'm glad it didn't stop right there because it says, as did some of the prominent Greek women and many men. Now, I'm glad that's in there because Greeks were Gentiles, and when it comes to Gentiles, I are one. And I am so glad that the gospel doesn't just cover the Jew, but it covers us all. Amen. It's for us all. Hallelujah. So maybe while Paul's going through 1 Thessalonians 5, he remembers this incident in Berea, and maybe Paul is kind of saying, you know, like the Bereans did with me and Silas, test everything you hear. Like these noble Bereans, search the scriptures to determine whether the teachings you hear are in fact so. They're in fact true. Are you a Christ follower? Are you? Christ followers are called to be on the front line of discernment. The front line. Then Paul says in verse 21, when you find what is good, cling to it and hold on to it. But then he says in verse 22, abstain from every evil form. He says, on the other hand, whatever comes across as evil, and the Greek word for evil there is schema. What word do you think we might get schema from? Excellent students. So he says, whatever is a scheme of Satan, whatever you discern to be a scheme of Satan, push away from it. That word abstain means to push away. I mean, it's kind of like if you go to the doctor and you've, you've started having these bad headaches. 
Maybe you've been somebody who really hasn't had a lot of headaches, but all of a sudden you're having bad headaches. And I mean, they're debilitating. They just kind of knock you out. You can't work. You can't do anything. And you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a little examination. And then the doctor says, well, it could be several things. It could be a fatal brain tumor growing in your head. Or it could be too much sugar. Might want to lay off the Cokes a little bit. Or it could be that, you know, since it's gotten warm outside, you're going outside a whole lot, maybe you're getting too much sun, and the sun's causing you to have have headaches. But I tell you what, just believe whatever you want to. Does that help you? No, that doesn't help you. I mean, you could say, well, I'm going to say it's the sun, and somebody go get me a Pepsi. I mean, if I can believe anything I want to, What do you want when you go to the doctor? What do you want? But what if it's not what you want to hear? Do you still? Yes. Yes, you want the truth. You want the truth. Because only the truth will put you on a path to healing. Only truth will put you on a path to freedom. Only the truth will set you Now, if we demand that kind of precision from doctors, why don't we demand that kind of precision from the people who stand in front of us and proclaim God's truth and it relates to our eternal life? But we don't. We're way more scrutinizing of a doctor than we are of a preacher. Amen. Test everything. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 14, 17 about King David that he was able to discern good and evil. Let me just close with this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Let's look at that closer. He says, when you find what is good, cling to it, hold on to it. What he's telling us here, when the truth is spoken to you or you read the truth or you listen to a CD that has the truth on it or however the truth is coming to you, he says, learn it. Learn it, learn it. First, you gotta learn it. Hold on to it, cling to it, which means to practice it, walk it out, live it. He says, hold on, cling to, determine what is good. I want us to look at that word good. It is the Greek word kalos, K-A-L-O-S. Kalos doesn't mean good in the sense of beautiful. It doesn't mean good like agathos. The word agathos means it is something that has the appearance of goodness. And this is the way a lot of people judge preaching and teaching and what they read and what they're listening to is they, they, they are drawn to what appears to be good. That is agathos. God said, no, no, no. Don't be drawn to the agathos. Be drawn to the kalos which means something that is inherently true and genuine and good. Not it just appears to be, it really is genuine. You can't go by appearance, boys and girls. You cannot go by appearance. You have to look at the content. Something is not good because it looks good. Something is inherently good because it is true. It is righteous. It is right. Does that make sense? Now, here's why we have to do it. Here's why he says, if you find something that is good, grip it. That's really what that Greek word means. When you find something that's good, grip it, clutch it, pull it close to you. But if you find something that's not good, then he says what you want to do is shun it. 
You want to hold it far away from you. You want to separate yourself from it completely. Listen, he's saying to you, don't sit under it. Don't sit under it. Don't expose your mind to it. And here's why. Here's why we cannot expose our mind to false teaching. Even if the guy says a lot of really, really good stuff, but then he's got a little little messed up stuff over here, it's like that glass of milk with those two drops of arsenic in it. Would you drink any of it? Let me tell you about evil, and I'm going to quote this about evil. The reason we don't want to listen to false teaching is because it has a corrupting influence. Listen to this. Listen now. Evil is always presented in Scripture as something not static, not steel, not like a brick. Evil is always presented in the Bible as malignant. Now, we don't like that word. I've heard that word three times in my life about me. We don't like to hear the word malignant, but I'll tell you what, when we hear it, we know what it means. We mean, it means it isn't going to just sit there. It means it's not going to just sit there, but it's got tentacles. When that doctor found that tumor in my eye that was malignant, the tumor he found in my eye, he said it's like a spider. It has legs going out from it everywhere. And he said, what I have to do is I have to treat the tumor, but then I have to treat each one of those spider legs going out from that tumor, Farrell, and we have to make sure that I laser every one of them. We cannot leave one cell in there alive. That's how evil is. Evil is like liquid. It runs into every crevice. It runs into every empty place. And if, you, if that place in you is not full of truth, it will fill that place. Y'all with me? That's why we can't toy with this. We can't play with this. It works disaster. It's increasingly harmful. It grows. It, 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 it's not just corrupt. It is corrupting. It doesn't just defile, it keeps defiling. It doesn't just influence, it continues to influence further and further, breaking down barriers in your life, becoming more and more injurious toward you. It poisons everything it touches. That's why we can't tolerate it. Josh McDowell said to us, he said about 20 years ago, the number one verse in the Bible that was quoted more than any other verse, what, what would you think it would be? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. You know what the number one quoted verse now is in the church? Judge ye not. Judge ye not, lest you be judged. Using, using, being used totally out of context. Being used totally out of, see, there are people who would hear this old-fashioned preacher today, and I know I'm old, and, and, I, and I know there are going to be some young boys that are going to come in here behind me, but don't you let them preach something to you that isn't true. You hear me? I don't know what preacher you'll have when I'm gone, but you better make sure he's going to rightly divide the Word of God to you, because if he gives you something else, it's evil and it's malignant said the number one verse being quoted in churches now was, judge ye not, judge not. You know, what the, you know what they're saying when they use that? Yeah, that's in the Bible, but you need to say it in the right context in which it was said. 
What they're saying is, well, you know, he found God his way, I found God my way. You know, there are many ways to God, judge not. Don't make me slap you. (laughs) Amen. You guys want this kind of preaching in this church? I gotta tell you something, I can't pastor a church that doesn't want this kind of preaching. We've gotta have the truth. I gotta have it, I gotta have it. And we can't entertain, we can't tolerate a little bit of arsenic. But it looks good, pastor, it tastes good, but it is, is it inherently good? We have to be careful. Father, thank you for the truth today. Thank you for putting a love for the truth in me. And I know there have been times in my ministry, Lord, when I compromised. I felt the pressure of compromise, and and I compromised, and, and Lord, you brought conviction, and I hope you'll do it every single time. Every time I stray off, Lord, I pray you will bring in the the rod and bring in the staff and bring in the oil, because I'm going to need it. I want you to protect me. I want you to discipline me. I want you to keep me on the right track. Father, if there's anybody here today who's dabbling in false doctrine and false teaching, maybe they got the Bible over here in this hand, but over here in this hand they got something by some famous author like uh, uh, maybe Oprah recommended, Deepak Chopra or whatever that dude's name is, God. They think, well, I got the Bible, you know, I read the Bible. Doesn't matter if you read the Bible if you're also drinking arsenic. God help us. It's you only, Lord. It's you only. It is your word only. No mixture. No mixture. Now as we depart, Lord, let us be determined that we will be soldiers of the truth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We're going to pray for anyone who would like to have prayer up here at the front. Be sure and pick up your survey on the way out. They're going to be at these two exits right here. Make sure you pick them up. If you go out these exits, swing around and pick up your survey, okay? Hey, those of you who are visiting, pick up your gift bag right back here at the Guest Welcome Center. So glad you came. God bless you. We love you.